Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. Waiting on Rich Samini of ESPN to discuss the National Football League in New York, which has not been very successful. But that aside, uh, we will uh, hang on, wait for him to get back to us, and we'll talk a little uh, Jets, little Giants, primarily Jets, as to they got their fourth. Rich Samini from ESPNNewYork.com. Please leave a message. Okay, Rich, we'll do that. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hey, Rich, Howard, David, get back to me when you can. We're on, ready to go with you. Easy to do. Piece of cake. Sunday, the one thing that came away with me, aside from the fact that Robert Sala, the head coach, wasn't there, um, and Ron Middleton was, I'm wondering if Robert Sala were there. Were he at the game? He was in COVID protocol, and, and we get that. It's, I mean, there's 57 NFL players or coaches that are in this protocol. Actually, it's even more. But having said that, I looked at that game Sunday, and I came away with a, a couple of things. Number one, this was not about tanking. I don't think either team wants to tank. I don't think either team has players that don't want to win the game. I, I think that's pretty obvious. But... Last, I mean, it showed why if Robert Sala were there, where he'd do something different. At case in point, Jets are down nine to six in the uh, first half, and they're in field goal range. They decide to go for it on fourth down, and I'm going, why would you do that? You kick a field goal, you tie the game. If the object of the game is to win the game, go tie the game. That was just me, and it didn't stop there. Um, case in point. They're up by four points later in the game. Again, in field goal range. And they try a fake field goal. And I'm going, why would you do that? You kick a field goal, you're up seven. Now Jacksonville needs to score a touchdown to tie. So, hang on a second. (laughs) Okay, we're back. You kick a field goal, you go up by seven. Now Jacksonville's in a situation where they um, had need a touchdown to tie the game. So it comes down to the end of the game, and they're on the move. They make a big play. Trevor Lawrence scampers and picks up a chunk of yards to where now they're in the red zone. And I'm thinking, had they kicked those two field goals, this would be a seven-point game. Now they're at the two-yard line. It's fourth down. Suppose they score. And what? You gave away the game. For what reason? Why would you, one, go for it on fourth down when you're in easy field goal range? Two, why would you try a fake field goal when you're in relatively easy field goal range? And you have a chance to to put the game away. (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, 
had you kicked those field goals and that last drive, Jacksonville's down 11 points and I can win the game. I, for the life of me, don't understand why coaches do what they do. It makes me scratch my head. I, 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 I just don't know. It's like, and I had this conversation with Bill Parcells a long time ago. The conversation I had with him was, coaches are men of conviction, right? He goes, yes. I said, uh, in other words, they're stubborn. He goes, yes. So, I mean, one of the best coaches of all time, he's saying that. I agree with him. Coaches like to do things. Now, case in point, John, John Harbaugh of uh, the, um, the Baltimore Ravens goes for a two-point conversion twice within the last four weeks to try to win games. He comes up short both times. He can be criticized for not kicking the extra point and tying the game and maybe going to overtime. But he said, his gut said to go for it. I respect that. Because here's a coach that doesn't go by analytics. Here's a coach that was coaching with his gut. It didn't work out, but John Harbaugh is a very good football coach. I don't have any problem with him going for two. You do what you have to do for the moment. Having said that, I scratch my head when it comes to coaches and wonder what prompted Tom Thibodeau, or Thibodeau, from benching Kemba Walker for eight games. What was the reason for it? The guy's a proven scorer in the NBA. Now, if he doesn't like his defense, then why'd you go out to get him to begin with? Evan Fournier, excellent three-point shooter, sitting on the bench in the fourth quarter. Why'd you go out and get him to begin with? Unless Thibodeau wasn't consulted, which seems kind of hard to believe. A coach is charged with the responsibility of winning games. And if he doesn't get it done, then he's going to get fired. But you coach to use the weapons at hand. Okay? You coach to use the weapons at hand. And if you're not successful, you're going to get fired. Now I look at the giant situation. The Giants are not going to make the playoffs. That, that's an obvious statement. They're 4-11. The Jets are 4-11. But if I looked at the two teams, I would wonder who's in a better position, the Jets or the Giants. On the surface, I would say it's the Jets. Because up to this point, Zach Wilson has shown more than Daniel Jones has. Now, Jones has been banged up a little bit. So, Zach Wilson, he missed four games. Well, off what I saw Sunday, he showed the ability to run the football that we really haven't seen a, a large sample of until Sunday. Not only did he score on a 52-yard run, but, if I'm not mistaken, he had 91 yards of rushing yards. And the Jets had an incredible... 273 yards of team rushing. So who gets the credit for it? The running backs? Yeah, you can you can come up with Michael Carter getting 118 rushing yards and say that's a good job. But how about the offensive line? Heretofore, an offensive line has been brutally tortured. 
And they don't have Mikhail Becton, who's out for the year, for the most part. And what's the point of bringing him back now anyway with two games to go? But the offensive line did a hell of a job. Now, let's put things in perspective. They played Jacksonville. Jacksonville's a team that's um, they're in pretty sorry shape. And I, and I don't think I've overestimated that. They're 2-13. and 13. The only team with a worse record, uh, and they're not. They, they have the worst record in the league. They're the number one seed right now in, in terms of a draft. Having said that, They've got a lot of issues. They got to find a coach. They have to find a direction. Clearly, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars blew it when he signed and, and hired Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer was a very successful college coach, but that doesn't guarantee you anything in the National Football League. See Nick Saban, see Steve Spurrier, see Chip Kelly. Coaches that have success in college football does not guarantee you success in the National Football League, okay? Jimmy Johnson was very successful in the NFL. Pete Carroll has been very successful in the NFL. Those are the two exceptions. What made the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars think that Urban Meyer was the answer? And not only that, you gave him a five-year deal. Now, maybe that was his demand. I need five years to turn this thing around. Three wouldn't have been able to turn it around? Well, okay. You made that deal. You ate it. I get it. So now you've got a situation where not only did Urban Meyer not get the job done, but he damaged his reputation and he showed character flaw. Not flying back with his team. Pictures taken in a bar in Columbus, Ohio with a young woman, and I don't know what that was all about, and I don't proceed to venture a guess. I, I think that gets me nowhere. It gets you nowhere. But clearly, the Jacksonville Jaguars are a mess. The Detroit Lions are a mess. The New York Jets are not a mess, and I'll, I'll be specific. I like the coach they have. I think Robert is a good coach. I think his assistants, his coordinators are solid guys. I think they have their quarterback long-term. I think they have a good running attack led by Michael Carter, who was a second-round draft choice. And Elijah Moore, a wide receiver from Ole Miss who's been injured for a lot of the year. But I still think they hit on that. So I'm going to give Joe Douglas a B-plus for his draft. So what does that do to the Jets going down the road where they have two first-round picks, Two second-round picks. And what are they looking for? Obviously, offensive line help wouldn't hurt. Do they need a big-time game-breaker? I don't know that this draft has that. But I know what this draft does have. I know what this draft does have. They've got a guy named Aiden Hutchinson from, from Michigan. A defensive end. A, an edge rusher. Carl Lawson comes back next year after missing the entire year with an injury. On, in the most optimum situation, assuming that Lawson comes back 100%, assuming that, assuming that they get Hutchinson. So there's, there's two ifs. There's no guarantee they're going to get Hutchinson because Jacksonville is going to draft before them. Detroit's going to draft before them. Um, and who knows? 
But can you imagine the most optimum situation where they do have Lawson, they do have Hutchinson, now you've got two really outstanding pass rushers. That takes a big, big situation and puts it in a great situation for the football team. The Giants, good to get a new general manager. Dave Gettleman's done. New general manager comes in, his demand may be, I want a chance to pick my own coach. And you can't blame him for that. I wonder if a new general manager comes in, does that mean Joe Judge is in trouble? Yeah, it does. Because a new GM is going to want the ability to pick his own guy. Okay? Having said all of that, uh, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. That's all. Just wondering. Still trying to reach Rich Samini of ESPN. Doesn't look like we're going to get him. He's obviously tied up with something that he was unaware of because Rich has always been very reliable. So we'll give up on him for, for, for now. So I look at this giant situation and saying it's a mess. I look at the jet situation and saying it's not as bad as somebody people may think, including their own fans. Now they got Tampa coming up this Sunday at MetLife Stadium. Chances are they're going to lose that game. And chances are they're going to go up to Buffalo at the end of the season and lose to Buffalo that's in a fight for the AFC East title. Okay, you write it off. And so the Jets go into next year with all these draft choices and $50 million to spend on free agents. Chances are they're going to improve a number of positions with free agency. Let me shift gears. Talk about the NBA in New York. What do you have? You got the Nets that are playing great. And right now, I think it's fair to say that the Nets, as of right now, are still number one in the East. Kevin Durant will be back probably, they play on Thursday. I'm not sure of their opponent, but let's just say that he'll be back in time for Thursday's game. Kyrie Irving episode, people that know me know that I've been against this from day one. I thought the Nets did the right thing. I thought they said you can't be a part-time player and sat him down. Kyrie is a stubborn individual. He's got his own path to what he wants to do. Okay, we recognize that. He was very stubborn when he was in Cleveland. He was very stubborn when... Ah, there's Rich Samini, finally. We're going to talk to him for the best we can. Hello, Rich. How you doing, man? All right. Sorry I missed that. Uh, I was actually finishing up a podcast. Uh, that's okay. Things happen, you know. You're in the business of uh, appeasing the public, and you are a much sought-after individual. I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> here I am. And, uh, you know, whatever you got, I'm, I'm here to answer for okay. you. Okay. Let me, let me ask you this right off the bat. Last Sunday's game with the Jets in Jacksonville. This was the number one pick and the number two pick going head-to-head. Was that the marquee matchup at the beginning? Maybe so. But I want to ask you about a couple of specifics. Without Robert Sala, and Middleton took over as the head coach for the day, the tight ends coach. They're down 9-6 to six in the game, and they elect to go for it on fourth down 
rather than kicking a field goal to tie the game. That was number one. Number two, they're ahead by four later in the game. They try a fake field goal instead of kicking a field goal. That would have given them a seven-point lead. So there's six points you basically left on the table. At the end of the game, Jacksonville is driving, and after a big run by Trevor Lawrence, they're down at the two-yard line on fourth down. They make a play, win the game. The Jets basically gave it away. What did you think of those decisions? Yeah, I didn't like those decisions either. The one right before, uh, you know, the fake field goal just seemed like it was a weird time to do it, and it was also a poorly designed play. And uh, the right before halftime, I thought they they should have taken the field goal there. And then at the end of the game, you know, when they did take the field goal on a fourth down from the one, I thought they should have gone for it there. And the analytics people backed me up on that. We saw, you know, immediately our, our ESPN people were tweeting out the probabilities and clearly the numbers stated they should have gone for it you know there because if you there was a 69 percent chance of converting a touchdown from the one yard line you convert a touchdown there you win the game and so you know i thought they were too aggressive in some spots but yet not aggressive in that last spot and somehow just through the jaguars own ineptitude the Jets managed to pull out a win there, but I, I thought there were some questionable decisions for sure. If, and we, I don't want to play the game of ifs and ands, but if Robert Sala is the head coach, are things done differently? You know, I, I, I think at the one right before halftime, possibly, I, I just got the impression from uh, Robert's uh, Zoom press conference on Monday that maybe he didn't love that call at the end of the first half uh, by uh, going for it and not taking the points. Um I think he, he might have done that one differently, but I think probably the rest of the game he would have been just as aggressive. I think the Jets rely heavily on a guy named Matt Burke who's up in the in the box. He's their game manager specialist. Uh, he's a former coach who has an analytics background, and so they rely on him heavily during the game. So something tells me that they would have been making mostly those same decisions even if Saleh were there. If you ask the average football fan, and we're, all, we're talking about fans that are in New York as we're taking a bite of the Big Apple with Rich Samini. They produce 273 rushing yards. If you ask the average football fan who's had the best day rushing of any team in the league, probably next to last or last team they would have picked would have been the Jets. But here they are with a phenomenal day rushing. Uh, Michael Carter had 118 yards. Uh, Zach Wilson rushes for that 52-yard touchdown. But I give a lot of credit to the offensive line, which has been much maligned. Yeah, I didn't know that stat uh, either, uh, Howard, until someone texted it to me, and I looked it up in our database to confirm it. And that shocked me that the Jets would have the best rushing game of any team in the league. I mean, I saw several weeks ago, we saw the Colts just run all over the Jets in that Thursday night game. I thought for sure they had, had more, but I went back and checked, and sure enough, the Jets have the season high and uh the offensive line did a good job and they had a lot of moving parts on that offensive line their center got hurt late in the game they had to move some people around and so it was a really good effort by the jets uh they were their lineup was depleted especially on defense because of the covid list and uh i think they were playing without seven starters total in the game because of uh covid and jacksonville was too i mean let's not I mean, they, they were missing Josh Allen, who's their best pass rusher, and a couple of other players. Um, 
their receiver, their their right guard. So they it was like a watered down version. It was almost like a preseason game at times. Um, but you know, give the Jets credit for <clears throat> producing a massive rushing day. Rich Samini of ESPN taking a bite of the Big Apple with yours truly, Howard David. So when I look at evaluating. Joe, oh, by the way, Makai Becton apparently is done for the year. Is that right? Yeah, it looks that way. I mean, I, I would, I've been saying that for weeks, but uh, Robert Sala finally acknowledged it on Monday, basically saying that it would take a miracle for him to be back. And that, that miracle is not – there's not going to be a Christmas miracle with the Makai Becton, so yeah. he will not play the yeah. last two games. And what's the point anyway, right, at this Yeah, stage? I mean, he's coming off a knee injury, obviously – he doesn't feel comfortable. Uh, he hasn't even practiced, first of all. And when you're when you're a 380 pound man and you haven't practiced in three months, uh, it's going to take you more than two weeks to get to get ready to go in and play a football game. So uh, it was a wasted year for Mackay Becton. You know, he got hurt in the first game, had the surgery. He was supposed to be back in six to eight weeks. You know, here we are, 14 weeks later. He's still not back. It's a bit concerning. It's a little bit of a red flag. This is a play with durability issues. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think he's going anywhere in the offseason. He's a first-round pick who had a pretty good rookie year but has just battled injuries. And next year, I think it's fair to say, will be a do-or-die year for Mekhi Becton. Joe Douglas, I, I think it's fair to say he hit on Elijah Moore. He hit on Michael Carter in last year's draft. So now with two first-rounders and two second-rounders this year, what do you think his targets are primarily in the draft? Well, we, we know what, I mean, they're going to be two very high picks, too. I mean, we're talking, I think right now the Jets have the fourth pick, and they also have Seattle's first-round pick from the from the Jamal Adams trade. And, you know, we know Seattle's having a disappointing year. So I think the Jets could end up with two top-ten picks. And they have, I mean, other than quarterback, I think every position is on the table. I, I honestly do. They could take anything. And when you're as bereft as from from a talent standpoint as the Jets roster is, you just have to take the best player. And uh, they need stars. They need, they need impact players. If it's an offensive tackle, fine. Take an offensive tackle. If it's an edge rusher, take the edge rusher. So they're going to have options. Those are two big needs. I think wide receiver is another big need. Obviously, tight end is a is a need, not not in the top ten, but you know maybe in the second or third round. They have so many needs, and uh, they're not going to be in the top two, which would have brought them either uh, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan or Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, two really good edge rushers. It looks like they'll probably go one two in the draft. The Jets won't get either one of them, but that you know that's no reason to be you know, to be discouraged about their draft prospects. I mean, they're still got two picks in the top 10. My God, if they can't come out with two two really good players there, they, they shouldn't be in the uh, draft picking business. Uh, the other side of it, uh, Carl Lawson will be back next year. I mean, it was devastating that he was out before the season began because the Jets were banking so heavily on him. I mean, optimally, if they had Carl Lawson, a healthy Carl Lawson on the return, and somehow another Aiden Hutchinson fell into their lap, uh, they would be set in a really important, really important area. But let's deal with the free agency. And I, I believe if the number is correct, it's like 50 million they have to look at free agencies. Is that right? Yeah, that's the working number right now. I'm sure the time that they get around to free agency, it'll probably be 
up uh, in the 60 millions because they, they have a couple of roster cuts that they can make that could pick up an extra 10 million pretty quickly. So, you know, they should be in the 60s. I saw there was an article I saw this morning and you probably saw the same thing, which was speculating on what the Jets might be doing in terms of free agency, in terms of wide receivers. And who knows if the guys that they, they outlined are even going to be available. I mean, Gasicki of Miami, as an example, you wonder if the Dolphins just don't try to lock him up because he's such an integral part of their offense. Yeah, he's a tight end slash wide receiver. I mean, he's he's often used as a wide receiver, even though he's actually a tight end. Uh, you know, I think he'd be really good in the Jets' offense. Um, we've seen this offense, you know, the scheme often has a, like, for instance, they came from San Francisco. They had George Kittle at tight end, you know, had, had huge numbers in this offense. So, uh, you know, they definitely, they didn't get much production this year out of the tight end position. They have arguably the worst tight ends in the league. And so, and actually, I think right now they don't have any tight ends because of COVID and injured reserve. They're they're pretty much down to nothing at tight end, so they're going to have to scramble this week and add some players just to just to have tight ends on the roster. But going, you know, I I don't I don't think they're going to sign any. Uh, you know, they spent money last year on Corey Davis. He's you know about thirteen million a year. Um, you know, they have Elijah Moore, wide receiver. They're going to have to get another wide receiver. I don't think there's any question about that, you know, and, and probably do so in in a pretty meaningful way, either with a high draft pick or free agency. But, you know, Devontae Adams is a free agent. I, I can't see the Packers letting him go, you know, unless Rodgers is gone and then, and then they want to, you know, Adams wants to go elsewhere. Or they could always franchise him. So free agency it tends to get overrated. I don't think you find too many great players in free agency. So I think it'll be the draft where the Jets look to address those needs. Uh, you mentioned Devontae Adams, and your scenario makes a lot of sense. I mean, most people don't believe that Aaron Rodgers is going to be with Green Bay next year. And maybe that, that changes Devontae Adams' mind. You know, But you're right, they can franchise him, and that takes him off the market. Um, when, I, when I look at the just the overall... Somebody asked me this question the other day, a friend of mine. He said, who do you think's in better shape, the Jets or the Giants? And I thought about it for a minute, Rich, and I said, I think the Jets are. Because I think the Giants, first of all, they're going to need a new general manager. And with that, a new general manager comes in. He may want to pick his own coach. So I don't know where that leaves Joe Judge. Obviously, he could be looking for a job. But I look at the Giants and Daniel Jones. Uh, I don't think he's their answer. Uh but the Jets, I mean, Zach Wilson, what I saw Sunday, and I realized they played against Jacksonville, okay? But I thought he showed a lot Sunday when he took off and made that run for a touchdown. But I, I don't know how to tell you this, Rich. I don't get too excited during games. I just sit there and watch games. But I got to tell you, I was impressed with that run. Yeah, I mean, it was his best play of the year. I, I think I think we could say that safely. It was his best play of the year. And... Uh, it was the longest quarterback uh, run in Jet history for a touchdown. We know that. And, you know, I, he, he played all right, Howard. I, I'm, I'm not ready to say the Jets – I'm not ready to say he's a future star. I, I, my jury's still out. He's shown gradual improvement the last couple of weeks. Uh, he hasn't thrown an interception for three, in three, three straight games, so that's progress. But he threw for 100 yards on Sunday. So, I mean, I'm not ready to anoint him yet based on a 100-yard passing performance. He almost ran for more yards than he threw. Right. 
And, you know, I thought Trevor Lawrence showed more potential in that game than Wilson did. The problem with Lawrence in that game is just that he made a couple of, a couple of bad mental mistakes. Um, you know, it just some rookie mistakes that really cost his team. Whereas Zach did not Zach played a cleaner game. It wasn't as prolific, but it was a cleaner game and he got his team to win, which is ultimately really what matters. But, uh, yeah, so I'm not ready to go crazy on Zach yet. I'm still learning about him. I think he's still learning how to play the position, but he has shown improvement in a gradual way the last couple of games. I would say this. I would say that Lawrence won the battle, but Wilson won the war because they won the game. Uh, and, you know, they've got other issues. I mean, the hire, uh, look, from day one, I said the hiring of Urban Meyer was eventually was going to be a disaster. It's not that I know anything more than anybody else just that I considered the man, I considered the history of college coaches making it in the NFL, and once you get past Jimmy Johnson and Pete Carroll, who else has made that transition successfully? Well, the Jaguars are just a bad organization. I mean, and it starts at the top, you know, their owner has just made a, a series of bad decisions uh, in, in recent years, and that's why they're, I think the Jets and the Jaguars have the two worst records over the, in the last few years. And the Jets aren't far behind because their ownership group has made a lot of bad decisions over the last 10 years as well. I, I did a pretty in-depth story on it last week and looking at the Jets and the Giants and, you know, and they're both suffering from a lot of the same issues. And I think a lot of it can be directed at the ownership because they're they're the ones who chart the course. Now, the, the Giants are going to have a really interesting offseason because they're kind of in that no man's land. I think their roster, it was clearly built to win now. I mean, they went out and spent a fortune last offseason on guys like Galladay and Adoree Jackson. And so they wanted a win now. Obviously, they're not even close to being that kind of team. Right. They're going to have a general manager. Does the general manager tear it down and start over like the Jets did a couple of years ago? Or does he try to add on? If I were them, I would trade for Russell Wilson. That That's me. I, I mean, I would trade a couple of number ones for Russell Wilson, I, I think, there's enough talent there with Barkley and Galladay and, uh, you know, the, the, the kid, Kadarius Tony looks like he's got some potential. I, I would go for it now and bring in a guy like Russell Wilson. I doubt the Giants will do that. It sounds like they'll stick with Daniel Jones, but very interesting decisions coming up for the New York Giants this year. Appreciate your insight, Rich. You uh, stay safe and have a great uh, New Year's. Same to you, Howard. Happy New Year, and uh, we'll catch up uh, – 22. You got it, pal. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.